Happy New Year, yes. Coming up soon. Coming up soon. Well, what a blessing. What a blessing to be able to celebrate with all of you tonight. And, you know, you've, you got through the cold and all the, the mess over the last several days, and I'm just thankful you're here tonight. It was kind of a challenging uh, couple of days. We lost power for 13 hours yesterday, but God took care of us. And as He takes care of us always, doesn't He? Yeah. Fire in the backyard? No, it would have been a little chilly too. But, <laughs> but we're here, and that's the good news. We're here to, to meet with Jesus tonight, this afternoon, or whenever you want to call it. It's not morning. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And I think of my own life, and I, I wonder where in the world would I be apart from our Savior? And, and God, you, you know that. You knew that. You knew mankind needs a savior and we thank you that you delivered you delivered in such wonderful fashion and we thank you father for the son of god and god the son and may you speak to us this evening as we open up your word in jesus name we pray amen, amen. today we're going to be t- examining one verse isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and tonight's message is entitled god's gift to you. I like to receive gifts. I like to give gifts. I think we all do. But God has given us an incredible gift in his son, Jesus Christ. Chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. How many of you remember every gift you received last year at Christmas time? Anybody? <laughs> or who it was from? It's hard to remember, isn't it? If you remember any of them, I would suggest you're probably in the minority. You might remember one or two, maybe a few. But for the most part, they've been forgotten. You might have them, you might have since returned them, exchanged them, maybe put in a closet or tucked inside a drawer someplace and not seen since. But the point is this, although how grateful we are for those gifts that folks give us and we're grateful to give them as well, but the point is this, none of them are as complete and as satisfying or life-giving as the gift God himself has given to us. And not only that, the gift that he gave was and continues to be, for all of mankind, a life-changing gift, a life-giving gift. And it's been extended to sinful mankind for thousands of years, to billions and billions of people throughout the world, and it's going to stretch on throughout all eternity. And if, if you truly received God's gift, it, I'll tell you what, you'll never regret it, you'll never forget it. Amen. You will never forget it. The gift he gave continues to be offered moment by moment, second by second, every single day. And God, in his mercy and his grace and his love for us, he's reaching down to, to mankind continually. He promises in his word that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And I hold on to that. We ought to hold on to that. All of us should. The gift he's given us is timeless. 
It's eternal. It doesn't need a holiday to give it away. A true gift of God and of the heart is what God gave to us. And in His love, and it's all about His love for me, His love for you, He gave the most incredible gift, the most giving of gifts, a gift that supplies not only the needs of every single human being, but so many of our wants as well. You know, before we celebrate the Lord's birth, before Christmas, we ask one another questions like this. Well, you know, what, what would you like for Christmas? And oftentimes people say, well, I don't really want anything. And we follow up with this question. Well, then, if that's the case, what, what do you need? The interesting thing and the wonderful thing about God is that he is able to supply both. Our needs for sure my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he also supplies so many of our wants, and it's all in one gift. And the gift that he gave to us is his one and only son. God the Father gave his beloved son to a world that's full of darkness. Some might say, well, that gift, it's really not the gift that I asked for. It's not necessarily the gift that I have chosen. Really not something that I want, not something that I need, but, and I'm fine just the way I am. Well, let me say this, no offense to anyone. The truth is, no, you're, you're not fine just the way you are apart from Christ. You're not okay. You see, the gift that God has given us is a gift that's needed because without it, it's spiritually lethal. You see, God tells us in his word that all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. And with this sin, and we've all sinned, I agree with the word of God. And some may deny that, that they've sinned, but you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, yes, one simple question, have you ever had a, a nasty thought? Oh, yeah, sin, right? Or an improper motive, sin. You name it, we've done it. So we all have this stain, we all have this blemish, so to speak, called sin that disqualifies us as sinners from inhabiting heaven. But I'm so grateful that God gave us his gift. The book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 21, verse 27 says, and there shall wise, in, in no wise enter into it, speaking of heaven, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So God said, no, if, you're, if you've sinned, you're disqualified. But I've sent my son to make a way for you. And you see, God has made an appointment with you and me. And in his sovereignty, he has chosen this time from all the minutes that have come and gone before, all the minutes that will come in the future to meet with us today, to share his love with us. And the message that he has for us is all about hope. Hope. So much of the world is without hope. But you know what? If you have the Savior, you have hope. 
hope we have in, in the face of life's tragedies, and there's plenty of those. You don't have to look far to see tragic situations, do you? We have hope in the face of life's trials, and we all go through trials. We have hope in the face of life's changes. Question, are, are you in a trial? Are you in a trial? Either you're in one, coming out of one, or going into one. But you know what? We, we have and we can have hope in trials. We need hope in trials. We need hope at a time when the world sloshes around in the river of immorality, don't we? We need to hope in a Savior, that it's not about this life. It's about the eternal. We need hope in a time of worldly upheaval. And the world is shaking and quaking right now, isn't it? Just like Jesus said that it would. But it's not the end. And it certainly isn't the end for the believer. We are pilgrims. We're wandering through this world to where a place called heaven. Hope. The Bible uses the word hope 123 times in the King James Bible. Why? Because God wants us to have it. He wants us to be, be people of hope, real hope, not false hope. Not I hope I can get to heaven. No, I have the hope of heaven because what Jesus has done for me. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 43, verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted or disturbed within me? And then he gives the answer. He says, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. He's the health of our countenance. He's our joy. He's our fulfillment. He's our all in all. He ought to be. He wants to be. Will we let him? You know, the book of Isaiah was written about 700 or so B.C., and when the book was written, the nation of Israel was in darkness. And I'm not talking the nighttime. I'm talking about spiritual darkness in rebellion against God. They felt like there was no hope. Their enemies were attacking them. And Isaiah, the prophet, received a word from God, from God's Holy Spirit, that Israel would fall and would fall hard to the hands of the Assyrians. And as you might expect, this is hard news to take. Imagine if God said to one of us in a prophetic word or through a present-day prophet, the U.S. is going to be crumbled within the next who knows how long. Well, it very well could be. But that would be tough news, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to take. It caused me to think about our, our lives, you know, the things that we deal with, the things that we struggle with. Some people, you know, around the, our, our neighbors and friends and family and, and so on, they've, they've lost jobs. Maybe there's now a person in another nation across the ocean doing the job that you once did after working so long and so hard. Now say, for example, God spoke to your heart 10 years ago and said to you, I want you to know something. Marriage would be altered by man. God's standard never changed, but he said marriage is going to be altered by man. What if he said boys are going to be allowed in girls' restrooms and vice versa? What if he said there will be lockdowns? 
where people are not going to be even allowed out of their homes. I wonder how a person would have received that word 10 years ago. Certainly an unbelief and doubt, right? Yeah, that's hard. That's a hard word. These are hard things to accept. But the nation of Israel, and through these Old Testament prophets, they, they were delivering to the nation a, a difficult, unpopular message. But it was of God, and therefore would be fulfilled. You see, God always fulfills His Word. He always fulfills His promises. Not one of His promises will ever fail. Otherwise, He wouldn't be God, would He? And maybe that caused some of the people then to panic or become discouraged. And maybe today, here today, maybe 2022, you look back at this year and say, this has been a miserable year. It's been a tough year. There's been health concerns, employment concerns, financial concerns, maybe the passing of a loved one. Perhaps relationships have unraveled. Some people are anxious, we know, by the economy and what's taking place, or, or the threat of war, nuclear war. Yeah, these are tough. And you're wondering, perhaps, what, what will the future be like? Well, listen, we serve a God of hope. And you know, the Scriptures tell us, Jesus said these very words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, but seek ye first. I mean, that eliminates everything else, doesn't it? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, he's saying, seek me first, I'm going to take care of the rest. But we could look at that in another way too. If I don't seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, and I'm relying on my own righteousness, I'm relying on my own ways, and guess what happens? I unravel with the rest of the world. God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. He says, I've got to be number one and I will take care of you. You put me somewhere down the line, you're subjecting yourselves to your own risk. But God, you know, in his greatness and in his love, he gave the nation of Israel hope. For in the midst of, of the darkness of their sin and pending captivity, he did something wonderful. He pointed them Ahead to the Savior. And this Savior is for us. Against the dark background, the light of the world would shine brightly and continues to do so. You see, the darker the dark, the greater the contrast of light, isn't it? It doesn't take a lot of light to pierce the darkness, does it? No. Not much at all. So Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, received this word from God which is also a word for us. And it was a prophetic word. It gave those who chose to believe it hope. And I'm sure some discarded it and said, well, I don't, I don't need a Savior. And therefore, you know what? They're without hope. Well, God sent us a Savior at just the right time. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, which means at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. No offense, but we're all ungodly. Which means he died for us. At just the right time, he sent his son. You see, when we look at our own lives, apart from Christ, we, we can't really tell 
when the dark is dark enough to cause to go to the light. I sure couldn't. We can't tell or predict when a person has entered into an arena of weakness so weak that he feels helpless. We can't predict that. But you see, God knows exactly what it takes. He knows precisely when a person reaches that point of abiding in darkness so dark that light is the only option. And he also knows precisely when that time is, when weakness is so weak that God's strength is the only option. At just the right time. Well, this is what Isaiah prophesied. And he presented to the whole nation of Israel against this backdrop of darkness, and it was a promise of great light. And we know this passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, speaks of Jesus. It speaks of Jesus and his purpose as the Savior of mankind. He's come to save us from our sin. He's come to give us victory over sin. And ultimately, and this is such great news, there will be a day when there will be no more sin. That's when we're in heaven. You won't have to worry about it. Well, how do we get there? We need Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father, Jesus said, except by me. In Matthew 1, verse 21, it says, And she came, she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the Savior. What did he come to save us from? Our sins. Luke 2, 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In John 1, 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which did what? Taketh away the sin of the world. You see, we must need a Savior. God says, I'm sending one to you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, once again, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Notice what he says. For unto us. He's making a direct connection between the heart of God and sinful man in our darkness and in our weakness. Unto us. Means God has designed him for us. He's destined him to us. A child born. For unto us a child is born. It emphasizes Jesus' humanity. Well, the question is this then. Why did Jesus need to be born? Well, there's a straightforward answer. In order to die. In order to die. He took on human flesh for a purpose. In order order to to erase the debt of our sin. Hebrews 2.9 says, We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. God said, listen, I'm sending my son. He's going to be born, but he's going to die to pay for your sin and for my sin. He came in humanity. And you see, deity couldn't die because deity is eternal. 
So Jesus had to become man in order to die. And our salvation required his incarnation leading to his death and burial and resurrection. Hebrews 2.14 says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is, the devil. He came to destroy death. We're going to have physical death, but he wants to spare us from eternal death. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. That speaks of deity. God the Son, the Son of God. And you see, God knows us so well that his plan was so carefully thought out that he clothed himself in flesh. He came in the form of a baby and would grow up to be a man. And God even said that would happen. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What a beautiful name. Emmanuel means God with us. We need to remember this. God with us, not God against us, not God plotting our demise. God with us in order to save us. That's God's heart. I'm so thankful for God's heart. I'm so thankful that Jesus is called God with us. I'm thankful. In this virgin birth, it's a sign of something miraculous that would take place. Never before done, never to be done again. A virgin birth. Yes, God the Father is the dad, and therefore the name God with us is entirely appropriate. So the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, said, I'm going to send a son. And yes, he is unto us. His name means God with us. So in one breath, declaring that the sent one is man and the sent one is God. The sent one was born as a baby. Now think about this for a minute. Who can resist a baby? Anybody here? I sure can't. There's been a lot of babies in our life. Praise God. Who can relate to a baby? I'd suggest we all should. We all want it one time, right? And yeah, we have the privilege, Jackie and I do, of being parents and grandparents. And some of them are here today. Praise God for that. You know, when babies are born, when our grandkids are born, when our children are born, there's all the oohs and ahs, of course. But you know, it's much, much more than that. We fell in love with them from first sight. Why? Is it because they, they did something special? No, of course not. Newborns, they don't do an awful lot, do they? They do certain things, but not the things that make us love them. <laughs> We just love them because we love them. We fall in love with them just because, just because they are who they are. And as time goes on, it, it seems that we love them more and more. And when Jesus came to earth, he came as an infant. Lovable. Approachable. Touchable. And most people aren't shy around babies. Most like to touch them and hold them, make funny noises, funny faces at them, crazy gestures, you name it. I mean, we act kind of silly sometimes. we got to get that child to smile somehow. we got to stand on her head and do something, whatever it might be. We try to make them smile. 
And, you know, God knows our nature. He wants us to be able to, to relate to him and touch him in some way. You know, back in the book of Exodus, up on Mount Sinai where Moses met with God and God gave him the Ten Commandments, you know, Moses went up to meet with, the, with God and the people didn't want to meet with God. He said, oh, Moses, now you go. You go. You go meet with him. They were afraid, and the message God gave wasn't packaged at that time in human flesh, was it? No. It was written on stone tablets. Hard, cold, but true. They weren't soft and approachable, but hard and rigid. But the law, that was the law, and God knew and delivered the message of grace through Isaiah, he's like, no, you're not keeping the law. You can't keep the law, but I'm going to send a Savior to you. Unto us. Us, that's you, that, that's me. A child is born, and, and yes, he, he's touchable, he's approachable. And it's amazing to me that God would package himself in ba a baby's body. It's like, okay, here I am. Now you, you can approach me, you can touch me, you can hold me, you can talk to me, you can hug me, and you can stare at me. Isn't it something, you know, sometimes we're in line at Wegmans and there's a baby in a cart ahead of us and the child just stares at you. <laughs> and you can do all kinds of things and the baby just stares and stares and stares. They don't feel funny about it. You know, if I was to stare at any of you here right now, you'd probably feel uncomfortable and I'd feel uncomfortable. But not around a baby. They stare at you, you stare back and everything is good. You see, we need to focus our eyes on Jesus. And never take our eyes off of him. And he's a God that never changes. And as much as he was a baby and approachable and touchable and lovable, he's the same today. He's not a baby, but he's God himself. And we can approach him. We can touch him. He wants us to talk with him, to share with him, to bring our heart to him. The difficulties that we face, the praises that belong to him, he wants to hear from us. And yet, oftentimes, People think, well, I can't approach God. You know what? God never said that. We say it. He already knows we're unholy. He already knows we're sinners. And he says, you come to me. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In other words, he's our, our go-between. He is our intercessor and if he's our mediator, if he's the one that we approach to, to approach the Father in heaven, remember what I said earlier? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to my Father except by me. He said, he's laying it out for us, isn't he? He says, you've got to come to me. And if he's inviting us and he is our mediator, then we better approach God through Jesus. There are no other suitable options that God has outlined Nothing else will suffice. And if you want to know the heart of God, then you need to get to know Jesus. If you want to approach God, then understand He has given us the approachable one who is Jesus, who said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. So through Jesus, we can relate to God. And you know what else? Through Jesus, we are related to God. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And think about this, Jesus is God's son, and when I open my heart to God, I become his son too. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, 
It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. I like that verse, don't you? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What does that mean if we are the sons of God and Jesus is the Son of God? Well, through the miracle of the incarnation, Jesus and us, we are either his brother or his sister. We're we're related. And it's incredible to me. We become related to God as his adopted children through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what this means, if we as people can relate to him, then, then he also... Again, if we relate to him, we can approach him, we can talk to him, we can touch him. It means that he knows our struggles. He knows your struggles. When you confess something to him, it's not like, oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? No, no, he understands. He understands everything that you're going through. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He knows where we've come from. He knows you, and he loves you. He knows me, and he loves me in spite of me. And he loves you in spite of you. He knows our frame. And the word know, doesn't, it's not the knowledge of God that he has for us as creator. It's an experiential knowledge. And as he, he says, I know you because I've created you. I've experienced you. I know your frame because I wore it. What? I know your frame because... I wore it. You see, Jesus experienced the things that we experience. So therefore, he can relate to us and we can relate to him. So are you struggling emotionally? Well, Jesus would say, I had emotions the same as you. Do you feel rejected? Jesus would say, I was rejected also. I was rejected by my own family. I was rejected by the people I came to save. I was rejected by the nation of Israel. I am rejected day in and day out, but I still love them. He can relate to us. Are you grieving over the loss of a loved one this holiday season? Jesus would say, I I grieved the death of my friend Lazarus, and I wept. Are you troubled because finances are tough or money's tight? Jesus can relate to you. He said, I had nowhere to even lay my head. I didn't have a pillow like you have. I didn't have a warm bed. I didn't have a house. I had nowhere to lay my head. He can relate to you in every area of your life. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest. That's Jesus who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. He's gone through everything that you and I have gone through yet without sin. So he understands you. He relates to you. He is approachable. He is touchable. And that's why there is this appeal that says, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. A son, the son, the only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ, given up to death. And you know, family, Jesus had to be fully man and fully God 
Because if he was only man, our sin problem would have been unresolved. We'd be left on our own to do what? To do our best and fail. To do our best and, and try to figure it out on our own. God says, no, you don't need to. I sent my son. Jesus was sinless. And you know, sinlessness is essential for salvation because sinners can't save sinners any more than a drowning person can't save another drowning person. Jesus was sinless. And the sinlessness of, sinlessness of Jesus qualified him to be a perfect sacrifice. 1 Peter 1.19, saved with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, if we take away the deity of Jesus, you take away his sinlessness. And if you take away his sinlessness, then you're left with a Savior who couldn't possibly save. But Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is sinless, and he came to take away our sin. Unto us, a child is born. That's his humanity. Unto us, a son is given. That's his deity and his perfection. And notice, too, in this verse, verse 6, it says that the government shall be upon his shoulder. Interesting. Our world is full of government, isn't it? Nations, there's national governments, countries, yes, states, counties, cities, towns. That's a lot of government, isn't it? That's why people talk about big government. Big government goes all around the globe. And you know what? It's a burden. Government is a burden that somebody has to carry. And one day, the Bible tells it's going to be on the shoulders of Jesus, <laughs> the one who is capable, the one who can handle it all. And you know what else? It won't be a burden to him because he's God. And one day, he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. It'll be his government during the millennial reign, 1,000 years on this planet, ruled and reigned by Jesus Christ. And you know what? If you're a believer, you're coming back to rule with him and reign with him. And praise God for that. But today, you know, when we think about today, I'm not talking about this specific day, but the, the time in which we live, there's many people that attempt to live self-governed lives. And Jesus desires to lift from us self-governed lives. And not only does he desire it, he is committed to it. For Matthew 11, verses 28 and 30 through 30 says, he says, and this is an invitation, he says, you come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Are you, are you laboring hard? Are you heavy laden with something in life right now? He says, you come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. When we don't come to him, we rest less. So we become restless, don't we? When we bring our burdens to him, he says, I'm going to give you rest. And he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, and you shall find what? <laughs> rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I think back to the Old Testament, the book of the Judges. Judges. The nation of Israel was under self-rule. 
And the scriptures tell us many times in the book of Judges that every man did that was right in his own eyes. That's trouble, isn't it? That spells trouble, T-R-O-U-B-L-E. They did what was right in their eyes rather than God's eyes. Rather than giving their burdens to Jesus, surrendering them to the Lord, they said, God, I got it. And God would never say this, but I can say this because I'm not God. When we say I got it, we get it, don't we? We get ourselves in trouble because we haven't given it to the one who knows all things, loves us unconditionally, and desires only what's best for us. How could we not bring them to Jesus? Well, the prophet Isaiah, he now shares some other aspects of the character of the Son of God. He said, the government shall be on his shoulder. And then he says, then his name shall be called Wonderful. Wonderful. Jesus was and is wonderful. And I looked up that word wonderful. What does this word mean? Well, it means this. It means Jesus is a wonder. And it represents something, one of a kind. Something extraordinary. And it appears in the context of God's words or deeds. In other words, the wonder, the wonders of Jesus. Jesus is extraordinary. The Pharisees, remember those, those religious folks and the priests, they sent officers out. They knew Jesus was, was preaching, he was teaching, he began to get followers, and they said, well, listen, you got to go get this guy. So they sent the officers to arrest him. But they returned. The officers returned without Jesus, and of course, they bring the news back to these Pharisees, and here's what they said. Then came the, this is in John 7, 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, never a man spoke like this man. Like, wow, what was that? It was the wonder of Jesus. When Jesus left the cities of Tyre and Sidon, he went up to a mountain, and a crowd followed him. Matthew chapter 15 tells us this. And great multitudes came unto him, speaking of Jesus, having with them those that were lame, those that were blind, those dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered. It doesn't mean they were scratching their heads. It means they were astonished. They marveled at him. When they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And what did they do? They glorified the God of Israel. The wonder of Jesus. Think about the wonder of Jesus' virgin birth. One of a kind. Think about and wonder upon Jesus' sinful life. His death. His resurrection, it's a wonder. The Son of God is a wonder. How about you, personally? Do you look upon Jesus and do do you wonder about, not about him, wonder upon him? God, you're magnificent. Jesus, you're incredible. Do you stand in awe of him? Or is he just another name? You stand in awe of Jesus in wonder. His name is called Wonderful. 
And you know, when I think about my own life, and probably some of you too, when you, when you think about what you have experienced as a believer, you've experienced the wonder of his grace. His grace, his beautiful grace. The favor that he continues to pour into your life for one reason, just because he's God and he loves you. The favor that he pours into you, the favor that he pours into me is not because of me, it's because of him. How about his mercy? Do you wonder at his mercy? God, you've been merciful to me. I've sinned, you could have crushed me, you could have destroyed me, but in your mercy you spared me and you've given me eternal life. The wonder of God's mercy. How about his compassion? Jesus tells in the scriptures when he came upon someone that was really struggling, he, it's, the scriptures say he was moved with compassion. And I imagine that his compassion far exceeded ours. The wonder of his compassion. The wonder of his forgiveness. How about that one? Forgiveness so complete that the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all of my sin. He has removed my transgressions as far as the east is from the west. So complete that my sin and iniquity, my Savior will remember no more. The wonder of his forgiveness. Then we have the wonder of his peace. The peace he gives us in the heart. The wonder of his truth that never ever fails the wonder of his love, unconditional love. That's a wonder because there's nothing that you and I could ever do that would change his love for, that his love for you. There's nothing you could do. You can't change it. You can't increase it, and you certainly can't decrease it. He loves you because he loves you, and it's God's grace. What a wonder. How about the wonder of his creation? Look around. Look in this room. It's the wonder of his creation. Human beings live, living and breathing, hearts beating. Your heartbeat held by God. Your breath controlled by him. Your brain's functioning. It's a wonder. Everything about Jesus is wonderful, and he is a wonder, isn't he? He makes our lives wonderful. He's in full of wonder. I think it's important that we stop and, and consider his wonder. And think about it. Psalm 46, 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. His name is wonderful. You know what? That's singular. There's no one like him. There is no other. And his name brings wonder because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And you know what? A life apart from Christ is a life without true wonder. Why? Because he is the source of it. So a question, is Jesus a wonder to you? Do you think about him? Do you think about him? Do you consider him? Do you ponder on him? Do you meditate him on him? Do you think about his goodness? Well, if not, then what do you think about? Where's our mind? Is it fixed on Jesus? Family, it needs to be. You talk with him. 
He wants to hear from you. You learn of him through his word. Listen, there is, there's no other way to learn of him. There's no other way to grow in our faith, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. Listen, if you're not opening up your Bibles, you're missing out on so much. You're not learning of him. And you know what I've found in my life? The more I learn of him, the more I love him. And the more I learn that he loves me more and more than I ever considered. Do you stand in awe of him? Or is he just a, another thing that sometimes you think about? Do you stand in awe of his, his glory, his presence, his salvation, his forgiveness, all that he is, and he embodies everything that is good? He's also called here in this verse, Counselor. God, he, he's a perfect source of counsel. And you know what? The counsel that he gives is always safe. It's always wise. And it's always sound. And we all need a counselor. We all need someone we can talk to. Who better than to talk to Jesus? He knows what you're dealing with. How else can we possibly navigate this fallen world? He is all knowledge, all wisdom. He is our present help in trouble. The Bible says that he sticks closer than a brother. Who else can you turn to? Who, else, who do you know that has every answer for you? Nobody but Jesus. Whose counsel do you seek in trouble? His name shall be called Counselor. He's also called Mighty God. He is all-powerful. And you know what? He gives his power to us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us this, but you shall receive power. That's God's power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, we need the power of the Holy Spirit of God to live the kind of life that God calls us to live. And if you've received Christ and haven't asked him for the power of his spirit, then, then it's something that is needful and necessary and so very important. You need to do that. His name is also called, it tells us here, Everlasting Father. Now don't be confused by this. God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father. It's speaking of this, though. It's speaking of a relationship to us as his children, that he is a good father to his people. He's a father that loves us unconditionally as a great father, and you know what? It stretches out all the way through eternity. That's our good father. His love never ceases, and you know what? His love never ceases to amaze me. I look at my life, I look at my heart sometimes and say, God, you love this? And he'd say, yeah, yeah, I do. And it motivates me, it, it moves me to draw near to him, to make the changes in my life that really need to be changed. Well, lastly, he's called the Prince of Peace. God has given us his son who gives us his peace. Think about this. Does Jesus ever panic? 
You think he's up in heaven right now biting his nails over the condition of the world or the condition of your life? No, he, he never panics. He never worries. Why? Because he is the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. That's his character. That's his nature. John 14, 27 says, and Jesus said this, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, I'm giving you my peace. And his peace is perfect. And yet so often we forsake and forego the peace that he sends out to us because we're not drawing near to him. And really the greatest peace comes from reconciliation with God, that we get right with him, which means that we bring our sin before him and ask him to forgive us. And you know what? He will. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 tells us this. And mind you, this epistle was written as Paul was jailed. He was in a hole in the ground, in a prison. And he said, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How is that possible? In his circumstances, that he had peace. Well, because he knew the Prince of Peace and he trusted him. John 16, 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me, well, that's really important. He said, In me, you might have peace. In the world, on the other hand, he said, You shall have tribulation. He didn't say you might. He said, You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We can have good cheer. We can, we can raise our hands in praise because we have his peace because we are in him. And think about it. There's many, many peace thieves in the world. But we have the prince of peace. Well, let me ask a question. Do you, do you have peace this evening? between you and God or are you in turmoil peace or turmoil if you're in turmoil there's one solution the prince of peace the prince of peace you need to come to Jesus and let him give you the peace that he wants to give you. Peter the Apostle, in all the difficulties he had in his life, you know, and we can use him as an example of our own lives sometimes. You know, in 1 Peter 5, 7, here's what he said. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. How much of your care does he want? He wants all of it. He wants all of it for this reason, because he cares for you and wants to, wants to help you. Many people have a false hope based on worldly things, possessions, fame, fortune, funds, whatever it might be. Well, what happens when those things dry up? 
What happens when, when health goes or fame and fortune goes away? If you're trying to find your peace in those things, guess what? Your, the peace that you thought you have dries up with them. But if you have the Prince of Peace, you will always have the Prince of Peace. The Bible tells that heaven and earth will pass away. And if that's the case and you think that hope is found anywhere but in Jesus Christ, it's like sand that slips through your fingers. See, Jesus wants to give you peace and hope. And do you know that everywhere Jesus is Lord, there is peace. And when I say Jesus is Lord, it means, the word Lord means, means master. It means that I'm his subject. And I do what he asks me to do. And I'm no longer under self-rule. I'm under God's rule. And praise God that he desires to rule us. He doesn't rule us with, a, with a, a, an iron fist, does he? No. By invitation, he draws us, the scriptures tell us, by cords of what? Cords of love. You know what? Jesus didn't twist my arm to come to him. But I can tell you what, his Holy Spirit showed me that I needed him. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. You know what? The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus as, as a dove. Not as a viper. Not as a rock. As a dove. Gentle. And that's how he comes to us. Everywhere that Jesus is not recognized as Lord, there is no peace. He is Lord in heaven, and there's peace in heaven. If Jesus is Lord in your heart, then there's peace in your heart. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through difficulties. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome that. If he's not Lord in your heart, then there's no real peace there, nor is any real hope. But today, as with every prior day of your life, he wants to give you peace. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you security. He wants to give you a future, a future with him, and a future throughout all eternity. And there's only one way, and that is to come to him humbly and say, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Run to us. A child is born, and unto us a son is given. Will you make room for Jesus in your heart? You know, give yourself the greatest gift ever. Just receive him. He's willing. He's, he stands at the door and knocks. And if he's knocking on your heart right now, please, by the grace of God, don't close the door. Open it wide. And let him come in. And you watch him do incredible things in your life. Would you pray with me if you'd like to receive Jesus this evening and receive the gift that God has stored up for you? Please pray. Let's bow our heads. You know, this is, this is very personal. It's very intimate between you and God. So eyes closed, heads bowed, and let's pray. And Lord, I come to you as the God that loves me. And I realize, even right now, at this very moment in time, in the seat where I'm sitting, I realize I need you. I need you. I'm struggling. You know my cares. You know my hurt. You know my pain. 
You know my needs. So I bring all that to you. I bring my heart to you. I, I ask you, God, please, you know I've sinned. I'm asking that you would please forgive me and cleanse me from every single trace of sin and help me. Help me, God. I need your help to turn from those things, the, the sin that easily besets me. And I turn to you as the only one that can help. And I realize that you came to this earth uh, fully human and, and fully God, and you, you, in your humanity, you went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. And you died for me. Your blood was poured out for me. Thank you for doing that for me. And I praise you, God, that you're not in the tomb anymore. You rose from the dead to new life. And I ask for the new life now. Please, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Amen.